This is Tom Fox. Welcome to a special podcast series entitled Corporate Case Management in the Era of the DOJ's Monica Memo, sponsored by iSight Software Solutions. Over this five-part podcast series, I will be visiting with Jacob Fickner, Director of Partnership Development at iSight. In this series, we consider how the Monaco Doctrine and the Monaco Memo have impacted compliance in several key areas around investigations. In part one, we take up the speak up culture. Part two, strategic triage. In part three, ethical investigations. In part four, the fair process doctrine. And in part five, how data drives prevention. Over this series, we will not only detail the changes brought by the Monaco Memo, but how compliance professionals can respond to these new challenges. First, a word about eyesight. Uncover, investigate, and prevent incidents and misconduct. Eyesight is a powerful case management platform that streamlines your investigative processes so you can focus on prevention. Recording incidents, responding consistently, and collecting data means messy spreadsheets, information over multiple systems, and wasted time. Mishandling even one incident risks fines, lawsuits, and reputational damage. Reach out to eyesight.com for a demonstration to learn how you can streamline your investigations and starting investing in prevention. In this concluding episode five, we take up the topic of how data drives prevention in a best practices compliance program. This special five-part series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, backing in with Jacob Victor, the Director of Partnership Development at iSight. We are in our concluding episode in our five-part series. Over the series, we've looked at reporting, complainants, investigations, triage, and outcomes from investigations. And in this final episode, it's entitled reporting, but it's really a little bit broader than that because it has struck me during this series, Jacob, that obviously a report leading to triage, leading to an investigation and an outcome is a specific event that is significantly important in the Department of I, Department of Justice's eyes. But what has struck me is that by utilizing the strategies, tools, and techniques that we have are talked about in this podcast series, you're going to have a wealth of information that you can utilize in a variety of ways. And it's not simply lesson learned from this investigation. It's moving towards that culture of compliance that the Department of Justice has now said they're going to evaluate. So I want to explore some of the other ways that utilizing this protocol can help a company demonstrate that culture of compliance if they find themselves in an investigation or the Department of Justice comes knocking. And I'm going to start in the... June 2020 update to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs. The Department of Justice said that your compliance program should basically be you assess your risks and you assess them when they change. You monitor those risks in the form of your risk management strategy, and then you improve your program based upon your ongoing monitoring. And listening to you, Jacob, it it became clearer to me that this investigation protocol is really another form of monitoring. 
It's monitoring when something has potentially gone wrong, not necessarily, but it gives you the opportunity to get a significant amount of information through the investigation and hopefully through a root cause analysis or other additional work. So I wanted to maybe start with, do you see this protocol that we have laid out when a report comes in as a way to supplement ongoing monitoring that may be going on in a corporation? That's exactly at the end of the day what our clients are looking for is have a system in place that enables them to structure their investigative process, enforce their investigative process, and key, be able to provide data to be able to back up that those claims. Because when the Department of Justice comes to say, we've got a strong program in place, is great, but data it's, is able to show that, yes, we have a process and prove we're consistently following it each and every time and our outcomes are fair and consistent. And from that data that's collected throughout the initiation, the assessment, the investigation, and the outcome, at each level, you get a new layer of data. So that's why probably audience listeners can tell I I was struggling not to jump to reporting everywhere because ultimately the data that comes from this investigative process is where organizations find the most value of having a system like EyeSight. So the the term red flags was used, it's been used at least 15 years, probably longer. Uh, it is ubiquitous in compliance. But Jacob, I've come around to thinking that it's we're not well served using that term. And I say this for the following. Red flags originally were used in doing, uh, talking about due diligence on third party sales assets that were outside the company, whether it be a commission sales agent, a distributor, or someone who is not an, and it was, oh, they're in a country which is prone to corruption. They've got a conviction for corruption. They won't sign off on our code of conduct or some specific act that someone thought was bad. But when it comes to data, I think the term is inaccurate. And I say that because data is neither good nor bad. It's data. And what I try to counsel people is that you're looking for anomalies. You have a range of acceptable outcomes, practices, and I just label that A to Z, whatever it is. You set it. And if the data comes in below A or above Z, that's outside. It's an anomaly. And that's what you need to investigate. That's what you need to look at, take a deeper dive if someone's expenses, if you have a $75 discretionary expense you can have, and they come in at $74.99 on 20 of them, that's an anomaly. If they've come in at 95 on every one of them, that's over Z, so that's an anomaly. There may be an explanation, but it suggests the need for additional uh, investigation. And so I really wanted to ask you about that way to think about data as not good or bad, but Once you have your range, it's the anomalies you want to look at. Does that kind of square with what that company should be doing? That's exactly it. And we see outliers or through multiple different lenses. One is if I'm an executive, a chief compliance officer, a director, I'm going to be looking for different outliers. And I want my dashboards and my reports to clearly identify potential risk areas for me and have 
real-time analysis to be able to drill anywhere or drill into the outlier that was marked for me to be able to see what the underlying issue is and potentially be able to action it from there. If I'm a manager, it's looking at outliers for my process. We have an investigative process in place. I've got a team to investigate it. Are there outliers in terms of people taking too long at specific steps or stages relative to their peers, things falling through the cracks from a specific region, and being able to interact from a management perspective in terms of how our process is flowing. And then from an investigator perspective, it's looking for outliers within my process in my cases. Is this an outlier in terms of the number of expenses that are near the threshold relative to the average within this region or internationally so that I can better investigate? So we look at data from multiple different personas involved in compliance and be able to present the relevant outliers or occurrences that warrant further review to the individual based on their role and function within the organization. We have touched on in each one of these podcasts, and I want to continue to touch on the process as a demonstration or evidence of your culture of compliance. We talked about each one of those in the reporting, in the triage, in the investigation, and the outcomes. But I'd like maybe your thoughts on wrapping it all together and this entire protocol, why is that either so critical for a culture of compliance or evidence, as we say, auditable and defensible evidence of a culture of compliance? So when we look at it, it comes down to we have a process in place. We're stating we have a process in place, but how can we prove we have that process in place and we followed it efficiently at each step? And so that's where at each step of the process, you're augmenting that case with supplemental information. The one that always comes to mind that organizations really value is at the outcome phase to be able to supplement it with things like root cause analysis, corrective actions, preventative action recommendations, because that provides valuable data that then from a holistic overall perspective, if I'm a chief compliance officer or leadership that's responsible for the compliance function, I can get a lot of useful information. The DOJ references root cause within their various statements. And we find that a lot of organizations don't incorporate that within their actual process. And so when it comes to a potential DOJ investigation, what was the root cause? Have you had that root cause before? What did you do with that? Without a system in place like Eyesight to be able to articulate and be able to more importantly prove that you followed that process, we did our root cause analysis, here are the cases, here's the information, and it is audible and defensible, then the DOJ is much less likely to believe the organization. Continuous monitoring is only one part of the formulation, though. It's continuous improvement. And that means remediation. And so I wanted to maybe conclude with move towards how can a company use the strategies we've talked about to show continuous improvement? Ultimately, it comes down to the data being able to prove 
where you should be focusing your time, what processes need to be improved. An example, as we're associating now at the upcoming phase, the specific policies and procedures, organizational policies and procedures that were violated, that gives us data over which ones are working, which ones are not working. And then we supplement that with root cause analysis. We can look at specific policies and procedures that are being violated and why they're being violated, and then be able to take the appropriate remediation or corrective actions to be able to continuously improve the culture, the ethics of our organization, ultimately using data. We have a lot of risks. We have a lot of initiation initiatives, I should say. And something that we hear organizations tell us time and time again is that for me to action an actual policy change, I need to be able to articulate to my leadership why we should action or change this. And data is ultimately the best way. As we said, data is neutral. It's a fact. This is what we did. This is the outcome. This is the risk to the organization. This is what we're doing to remediate it. And this is why we should do it. And you supplement each one of those with data throughout your investigative process, it's more likely that your policy or procedural change will be implemented. Jacob, I wanted to end with the concept that we have both, or I guess we started with this podcast series with investigations have been a part of compliance programs literally since 1992. This is not new. This is something everyone knows is part of a compliance program yet. I hope for the listeners to all five parts of this podcast series, they have shown through the use of a auditable and defensible investigation protocol, starting with the initial reporting all the way up through the outcome, that they can not only fulfill their obligations around reporting and investigations, but more importantly, answer the Department of Justice in their requirements in 2022 for speed, efficiency, and most importantly, corporate culture. And so the way we've gone back to the future here have re-emphasized to me that by using some basic tools and basic tools that iSight provides and counseling you provide to your customers, you can meet these requirements in an effective cost-efficient way that will meet these requirements. And just wanted to throw that out there and maybe get your final thoughts on that point. Yeah, I think overall the compliance landscape is shifting. Before, sometimes it was seen as a checkbox. Yep, we've got a program in place. We put up our whistleblower hotline. We're good to go. But ultimately, the execution of the program was falling short. And where we're trying to shift the mentality of organizations is shift away from that siloed approach. We see organizations having, this is our time and expense fraud department. They manage only time and expense fraud. This is our accounting fraud department. They're only handling different natures of accounting fraud. And it's siloed, it's managed differently, potentially even different systems managing each one respectively. And so by incorporating it all into a centralized process, centralized application like iSight, where it's all audible and defensible, you get the data from multiple departments and functions to be able to clearly demonstrate, yes, we're taking this seriously, we're taking proactive measures, and here's the data to back that up. Jacob, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this final episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted any more information on the topics of this podcast or this series, what would be the best place for them to go? 
For sure, as always, I encourage everyone to visit our website at eyesight.com, where if you navigate to our resource center, you'll find a wealth of free and useful information for both compliance experts and internal investigators. Jacob, I greatly thank you taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Same here, Tom. Thank you. This concludes our special five-part podcast series on corporate case management in the era of the DOJ's Monica Memo, which was sponsored by iSight Software Solutions. Each episode has a full write-up on my blog site, so if you want more information, check out the blog post site. Also, a white paper will be available from iSight on this topic. iSight has a ton of resources in this area, so I hope you will check out their website as well. If you or your company would like to have a special five-part series or other podcast series, please contact me. I'm Tom Fox at tfox at tfoxlaw.com.